You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Shaping is a hole in the wall, okay, and in the afternoon the sun going down, I get you know, a little light, right? One afternoon, I was shaping, you know, of course, oh, the light could tell me, okay, you know, I don't even look at my watch, you know, okay, time for going all that. All of a sudden, I, I looked, and the light wasn't there, okay, that looked good. I saw the eyeball. No way. <laughs> Very lucky. And he, he just lived around that area, the shop So I saw that, okay, and I never say anything. The next day, I saw it again. So I just I just walked out of the shop, went behind, and I go, hey, what you looking for? That's all about the kid. That's unbelievable. That's all about the kid. At the time, he came in when I was just developing the swallowtail. Okay. Then, uh, had you seen swallowtails before, or did you develop that on your I own? Think, or? For me, picking it up, I think in the past somebody did dovetail. Okay. okay. What is a quick? Which is the quickest turning bird? Swallow. Swallowtail. Yeah. So, I made the cut. You know figure out how to shape it without breaking it, you know, without, you sure. know, and, you know, first one I did, I broke the tail off. Yeah. You know, it was only foam. Yeah. You know, so I, I got it down, looked at it, then I talked with the glasser guys, you know, how I wanted it to be lapped and stuff like that, and that's how it started. Wow. So Interesting. So it came from the bird, the aerodynamics of a bird. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never heard that before. Really? Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense, of course, because the name, but it just never dawned on me. Well, you're looking at guys on the boards, you know, they try to emulate, you know, mm -hmm. birds. Yeah. You know? Interesting. So, um, was it at that time, was it just like a eight-foot, like, single fin with a swallowtail on it? Or had you yeah. started... Well, okay. I was really short already because of Larry. Yeah. yeah. When Larry was doing his thing, of course, there's a couple other local guys, local kids, mm -hmm. you know, saw this. So, I watched his kids and... They, they look different. I mean, they were going low to the bar, like Larry, mm -hmm. you know, you know, stuff like that. Because when, when I, when I first was working with Larry, okay, he was trying to go 100 miles an hour <laughs> in one in one space. Okay? Yeah. So I worked with him on breaking it down, and the kid kind of understood, you know, what I'm what I was talking about. So he got into it. He developed a form. That was far ahead, so far, man. Yeah. And I'm looking at this go, you know, just by him being low and how he is actually not pivoting the board, but carving the board on a tight spot, you know? That's what a swallowtail came in. Okay. And did it, you know? Then, of course, the other guys, 
Well, I think of I course, I got them off what they had, and this is writing what Larry is writing. Okay, so he was kind of the guy dictating the changes. Yeah. yeah. Ben Ipa discussing the creation of the Swallowtail and his first experience with Larry Bertelman. The Swallowtail has been adopted into a wide range of surfboard designs ever since Ipa introduced it on the South Shore in the early 1970s. But it was originally used in part to create Ipa's most iconic surfboard model, the Sting. 2014 marks the 50th anniversary of IPA's surfboard shaping career. To commemorate the anniversary, the boardroom show selected IPA to be honored in this year's Icons of Foam Tribute Shaping Competition. For the competition, they procured an original Sting surfboard, hand-shaped by Ben IPA in 1976 for Buttons Kaluyo Kalani. It's the exact board, actually, that Buttons is paddling out in the iconic portrait at Velzyland, where he's looking back over his left shoulder, giving the peace sign to photographer Jeff Devine. The six shaping contestants were given 90 minutes to attempt to recreate the surfboard. The final shapes were then judged by Ben Ipa himself, along with his son Duke. The event took place over the course of two days and was the focal point of the boardroom show, which is the world's largest consumer surfboard show. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, David Scales. In today's episode of Surf Splendor, you'll hear from competing shapers Matt Calvani, Davey Smith, Sky Richard, Roger Hines, and of course, Ben Ipa himself. We're glad you found us, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, Ben had just come out with a stinger and the whole thing was happening with Buttons and Larry Bertelman and Mark Lydell, um, who else? I know I'm forgetting names, but on the South Shore. And it was so cool because it was, it was groundbreaking in the sense of that they were pushing the limits like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. And it was these, the whole thing of it was really cool because you had these young guys, these young kids just surfing the South Shore, just like enjoying life, you know, before the pressures of like work and all that. And Ben was there to shape them the stinger, or sting, like he likes to say. That's the voice of our first shaping contestant, Davey Smith. Davey was a professional surfer and a pioneer of the floater in the late 70s, and then the aerial in the late 80s. As his pro surfing career wound down in the early 90s, Davey transitioned into the shaping bay for his longtime sponsor, Channel Islands. He's been shaping there for the past 25 years. So it, it captured everybody's attention, you know, because it was just, it was like why we started surfing in the first place. It wasn't about competition, jerseys and all that. It was just well, like hanging out with your friends and having a great time. So You explain that as if it was different than what the current mood was right. what was the current mood at the time the current mood as far as i could remember you know was uh it was single fins people were riding single fins but they were longer you know with the pulled in tail 
And uh, so, so they were great, but you just couldn't wrap them in, in the pocket of the wave. So you're always like, you know, charging out and drawing long lines and that was cool. But with the sting, you could put the fin all the way up and with the sting, you could wrap that around in the pocket and they were doing 360s and stuff and it was just like way beyond what was happening so where did you have um did you see that firsthand were you in hawaii at all or well being with channel islands like um you know it had ipa had such a big impact that everybody in california started doing the stings okay. so the first couple trips that i did to hawaii i actually took stings um, so it was pretty cool. What was Channel Islands calling them? Everybody was just calling them the Stinger. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even though they weren't IPAs technically. Right. Yeah. Everybody was doing Stingers. Awesome. I mean, it was, it was similar to the Thruster. You know, Simon Anderson did the Thruster, and then everybody started doing the Thruster. Right. 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 So it very, very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever meet IPA early on in those days, or? Um, you know, I met Ben uh, one time at the beach at Rocky Point, I believe it was. I, it was very vague recollection. Recollection. <laughs> but, um, you know, because I had a CI sting and he's like checking it out. He's like, whoa, hey, bro, where'd you get that? You know, so it was it was very cool. Cool. What are your what are your memories of Ben himself? Like what kind of a presence did he have for that era and on the North Shore and stuff? Well, it wasn't, that was another thing. It wasn't really the North Shore. It was oh, the right. South Shore. Okay. Yeah, and you had just, you know, he was always like uh, like a father figure. Yeah. You know, and, and to a whole group of guys and just a solid guy. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that that resonated with a lot of people, you know, and especially that group. It was just surfing the South Shore, surfing these perfect waves, clear water, and doing these crazy maneuvers. And and Ben just happened to be there to facilitate that whole thing. Yeah. So it it was very cool. How important it is is it for you? You're coming from a professional surfing background. Ben obviously can surf. How important is it to have that skill set um, of being a good surfer while you're a shaper? How much does it affect your you know? your ability to shape I think it it affects your ability a lot you know because you're you're implementing your knowledge as a surfer into your shapes so obviously you know when someone orders a board they don't have all those nuances right. but you have the years of experience to put in the shape to right. make it you know they may not ask for that but you put it in there they can't see it mm -hmm. but you put in the things that that make the board excel so yeah. i think it's it's hugely important yeah yeah because there's guys who don't really surf who are still successful shapers and i always wonder that like how do you they just rely on feedback basically from yeah. the surfers you know and i and they seem to be able to do it successfully but i've always wondered how they make that adjustment yeah, yeah. i curious. think that's a really great point i think that you can not be like a great surfer and be a great shaper yeah. Seems and to. i think some sometimes because if you're not that great of a surfer, you're not going to interject your opinions to when someone's ordering a board. Okay. You're not going to go, oh, don't do it like this, do it like this. Interesting. So I, I think there's, I mean, God, I know so many great shapers that, that aren't that great at surfing. So.
Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good way to so put it. So I think it. it's kind of a, you know, it can work both ways. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. It seems to be able to. Yeah. Um, what was your experience like shaping in there right now for that hour and a half? You know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, that generation, I mean, what craftsmen, you know, God, they're just, they can use a planer like nothing else. You know, it's like, it's, you know, it puts all of us to shame. You know, it really does. I mean, those guys are gnarly. You know, it's just mowing foam, doing like five boards like that a day. It's so much work. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so I think that it's important stuff like this to make sure like myself and the younger generation all develop that craft, you know, and mm -hmm. design, even with the new technology. I think it's really Always important. have reverence for the planer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of a final question. Um, what was the last board that you actually rode, and what's your current relationship like with surfing? Like, how often do you surf? Um, I try to surf like once every couple of weeks. Santa Barbara's tough. Yeah. You know, it's not like when here where you have waves all every day. Santa Barbara's like you, you go a month and a half, two months without any surf. Right. So um, I do a ton of experimenting. Right now, I'm riding an eight fin. It's an eight fin flex tail. And so I love doing all that weird. I just, cause I'm in the shaping room all day long and it gets like uh, another squash tail, you know? And it's like your mind just starts going. So I'd like to try like really crazy stuff. What's the eight fin even look like? Uh, you know, I, if you want to get some pictures of it, I have some cool boards in my car. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I. It, if you want to get pictures of it, then you we'll can get do a, that. Is yeah. it like little keel fins, or are they all like how big are the fins? Um, what it is, I don't know if you've seen the CRV fins, but they're they're curved. Yes. Okay, so there's there's two CRV fins, like a quad setup, but they're CRV fins. Okay. Um, and then close to the stringer, it's a double concave, so close to the stringer, there's. The little trailer fins, you know, that yep. Kelly was using as a five fin. Yep. But they're in front. Okay. So you've got the four and then two like that. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. How's it go? Oh, it's great. At point breaks, it's amazing. Huh. Yeah. So is it, uh, what are the benefits of it? Or what's the... Speed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's extreme. So, you know, when you get all those fins on there, it's like sails on a sailboat. So it's it's you're going to have that tracking effect where it's going to go really fast, but you're going to track and you're not going to be able to break it out. Uh -huh. So with the CRV fence, that prevents it from tracking. It allows you a little more maneuverability. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. How is it in terms of like vertical kind of surfing? Is that... It's pretty good. Okay. I mean, this board is kind of a step up that I'm riding. Okay. So it's, it's great at point breaks and stuff, but... Um, you know, at beach breaks, it's it's definitely wants to draw a longer line, for sure. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. We'll have photos of Davy Smith's 8-fin surfboard on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. So then came, of course, Martin's, Mark Liddell, and the powerhouse, Dave Killer. You yeah. Know, you know, and the other, the other guy was on Michael Holt. Right. So how did those boards differ? Because, like, Dane and Michael obviously are surfing the North Shore. Rocker volume. Okay. You know, how much 
entry rocker, you know, because at the time the rockers were low, right? And we had the beak, you know, yeah, we had the beak. How so, does the beak affect the performance of the board? Oh, was, at that time it was just look. It was just look. So everybody put the bump. Okay. Okay. But when everyone is doing that, instead of all the bump like that, I was taking the bump. I was foiling it. Okay. Because these guys were foiling surfing, so I foiling that that beak. So it looked, it complemented what the board looked like. Uh huh. It really did. The whole aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Martins, Mark Ladell, Dean Kiloha. Their surfing again was so far ahead. The boards had to catch up with them. That's why they came in with the sting. Because these guys are riding their fins forward. They were surfing forward. And the boards in the back third wasn't reacting. So just by chance, I went down to Kay Lagoon. The fastest boat on water at the time. The hydrofoil boats. As they came into the turn, they dropped the throttle, but the momentum of the weight of the board, boat kept going. And the cut on the side of the boat made the boat pivot without losing speed. I saw that. And that's what brought the sting in. There is a cover shot of buttons and mark that Kaiser's on the wall. They both had stings. Um, and the, their boards had blue flame and green flame. That design caught fire <laughs> with those guys on the flame boys. And what that board did was it really made the board go rail to rail easier because of the wing. The wing made the tail much narrower, so you have this big front half for your speed and your glide and your drive. But then when you really wanted to crank a turn, you could push on it as hard as you want because the tail pulls in. But yet it acts like a fish kind of in the front. So, or, you know, gives you that, that service area. So, and it's, it was a single fin. And the, the stuff that, you know, Buttons did on that board obviously is legendary. I think what it did is it took, it went from being like a big wave focus on Hawaii, like with, with Brewer and Parrish. And he, he basically, brought things to the South Shore and brought performance surfing, more pre-contest surfing with Buttons and uh, Larry Bertelman and those those kind of guys. And so he, he pushed for performance small wave surfing with that board primarily. That's 2013 Icons of Foam champion Matt Calvani. Matt began his career in 1988 with Hap Jacobs in the South Bay of Los Angeles, then Dennis Jarvis at Spider Surfboards, and Phil Becker at Becker Surfboards. In the early 2000s, Matt took over the legendary label Bing Surfboards. He relocated his factory to Encinitas, California, where he currently operates Bing Surfboards, Jacobs Surfboards, and Rick Surfboards. I think when I originally saw Stinger was maybe back in the 80s, probably, you know, early 80s. And uh, at the time, like, I was, I think I was airbrushing. I airbrushed a couple boards because back in 85, that's when I started. Um, and I was like, really like, wow, this is a really, this is a really extreme design and didn't really understand it. Um, but then, you know, got got to know like kind of the background a little bit more with Ben and and then 
you know, buttons and all that influence, you know, and the guys that rode those boards. And then really more of the more exposure I got with that board when I worked for with Phil Becker, because he, you know, he pretty much shaped all the way from, you know, 63 to like, you know, up until he retired. And he was, you know, he shaped everything. And he shaped probably five or 600 of those. And when I was shaping there, Becker, for like seven years, he had shaped probably, you know, 20 or 30 of them guys that just wanted uh, you know an original sort of stinger from the 70s you know so and I, and I ended up shaping a couple back then and um, you know it's sort of like you take your, you put your own take in the, on the board and and uh, you know some generally most of them had full rails back then big rails and, and that was the kind of thing it was just like a it was like a 70s board uh, with kind of a twist did you uh have any experiences back in those days with Ben himself? Did you ever spend any time in Hawaii? Or no, I never really. I had met him uh, maybe like five or six years ago through Bing. He's friends with uh, Bing Copeland. Um, I I knew people that worked with him. Um, I knew his like uh, his diligence of craftsmanship and his uh, he was very he's very picky and very meticulous and he only works with certain people and I had a guy that I had worked with for many years and he, he did some contract glassing for him when Ben came over and he was going to get the license and Ben was always like am I you know I'm, I don't really want to do this but and he never really gave the license to the guy because he couldn't let go because he was just such a stickler for quality and not that the guy wasn't good, it's just that, uh, you know, Ben is like a perfectionist and it's hard to get somebody else to think that way. Yeah. And the guy that, you know, would have got the license was an amazing shaper and glasser. Yeah. So. Interesting. Um, what was the experience like working in the, the Icons of Foam, Shaping Bay? Obviously you've won it in the past, so this isn't your first time, but what, talk about that experience. Well, I mean, uh, it, last year I... I Every one, every time is a challenge. Not only is the board a challenge, it's always like a very special board, like a difficult board to shape. Last year it was like a three-string lawn board that was extremely foiled and had a lot of technical parts of the board. And then, you know, and then the room is a challenge. So there's always something in the room that you're not used to and you're like fighting. And so you just got to learn to adapt. This year it was kind of I felt like the racks were difficult. The racks are always difficult. This year there was the board would bounce around on the racks. A lot of foam on the on the racks, and uh, and I kind of got a bad start, you know, in the just because I, I, you get so nervous and your adrenaline kind of rush, and then you you kind of like don't have your game plan. You got a game plan, but you're just nervous, and that nervous energy kind of makes you make sort of mistakes. So I got it to a bad start, but it gave me like kind of the adrenaline rush to push forward, and and then I really got into a rhythm and, and pushed through and got it done. Cool, so. Uh, closing question, what was the last surfboard that you rode? I have, I have, in fact, I have a board in the booth. It's a 9.6, uh, they call it the California Pintail. It's just a new design I've been working on. That super basic, fun nose rider. You know, when it was really small, out of beacons, I rode it like two to three foot surf with it and had a blast. You can learn more about Matt Calvani at BingSurf.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. 
Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 71, 72, was still a single fin sting. Okay. 73, 74, even before that, the multi fin symptoms was coming in already. Now, I ventured into putting fin boxes where that during the time was a no no. No, they want to put boxes drag. Here, I want to put box so I can play with my fins, stagger them, things like that. So eventually, it caught on. It caught on, but it took a while again. Again, you know, during the time, because of the width and the thickness of the boards I was riding, you know, in order to get the kind of turns that these guys was getting, smaller guys, I had to, I had to do with something, you know, I had to do something. The third came in, third fin came in right after that, okay, when I needed more direction. In, in order to get more direction on the twin, it's going to be bigger. But then you're defeating the purpose of the idea of a, a looser board. So you put a keel, a keel, right, it wasn't a fin, I guess it was a fin at the time, okay. I got this quarter inch ply. I, I cut a shape like this, like a keel. I sanded it down, foil it, got, got glue, glued it on the back tail of the board and used it right out here. Okay, the, the plywood keel fin wasn't glass because I was just trying something out. If it doesn't work, throw it away. I never did. I never did. I was about 16 and I was surfing in Florida, of course, small places, you know, the last place you expect to find an AIPA, but I had a friend that actually was a surfboard collector and I surfed, you know, really kind of ticky-tacky, off the toe sort of stuff, so a twin fin fitted me well. He came at me and was like, oh, do you want to borrow this board? Me, of course, being that young at the time, had no idea 
the honor it was to just even ride aboard, but it was a Benai the Stinger. Rigged up as a twin at this point in time. And that was really my first time seeing Aip as a label. As far as the shaper, it was a few years ago, and it was only because he was just so influential to everyone, even the lightning bolt staples, even through the entire industry, his shapes resonated. You know, and that was probably one of the greatest honors of even coming out here was to meet him yeah. and have him come inside the bay and even telling me to relax a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to be 100% honest, he was definitely the, uh, the coolest guy I've ever had the pleasure of just having come pop in the bay and give me a little bit of advice, a little bit of tutorial, and then throw me a curveball with the swallowtail, but right. at the same time, it was... It was great just to have him in my presence and honestly introduce myself. And awesome. His sons are great people. So, right. Yeah. Very cool. Um. That's Sky Richard, the youngest shaper in the Icons of Foam competition. While each of the other shapers were hand-selected by Ben Ipa and Scott Bass, Sky was in the enviable position of having won a drawing designed to give up-and-coming shapers the opportunity to compete alongside some of board building's most respected shapers. Sky jumped at the chance and flew out from Jensen Beach, Florida to San Diego, California to participate in the event. My shaping history is, uh, I started at 15, was self-trained up until the point of about 23 or 24. Um, originally started shaping for the reasons of that I was injured in an auto accident, wasn't able to surf. Uh, randomly, it just kind of turned into a passion as far as uh, ended up getting a few blanks, the tools, all that kind of stuff. Was really stoked on it. Worked my way into that, traveled around quite a bit, the Caribbean, uh, Hawaii, California. Randomly working out of just whatever shops I could get, whether it was dings, laminating, shaping, just anything to do with boards. Originally, passion started with shaping, but as the market's such a just niche market in general, if you want to find something to do with just the surf industry in general, you kind of have to diversify. Right. Because if you don't diversify, you're going to get pigeonholed. If you get pigeonholed, it's hard to find a job in a certain, you know. Totally. Yeah, just so. Basically, um, I've been working in the industry for over eight years now, more so a ghost necessarily for a couple of guys up in the North Shore and then Florida, of course. Yeah. But you can imagine. Uh, are there any kind of key shapers who you worked under or that you really kind of... Bob Carson okay. of Carson Salick, okay. uh, one of the original guys that I was fortunate enough to get to watch actually work, one of the bestowers of me of the Skill 100, the original planer that I learned really how to work with and probably was one of very few people nowadays in now's generation to know how a tool that heavy actually feels and to know how it runs and the differences between that and Hitachi are mind-boggling but at the same time they're they're similar it's like snowboarding and surfing they carry key aspects that are similar but at the same time you find your niche and sort of work with that tool but uh, Bob Carson um, out in Hawaii there was there was Paula Mendonca uh, country I was fortunate enough just to work under for a short period of time just use their bays and then I was fortunate enough to live on the lightning bolt compound for about a year and a half and actually get to see Rory Russell, Leroy Dennis, all those great guys. To be honest, I was just watching them out of a keyhole that was punched out from a deadbolt and they didn't even know I was there. But at the same time, I was really, you know, kind of looking through that keyhole, just watching the way they held their planers and watching that. And 
those guys are my biggest influences as far as shaping style. A lot of just North Shore stuff. That's cool. It was really influential. What was the experience like shaping that board in the 90 minute window? The experience shaping that board in the 90 minute window was incredibly, um, it was a real learning experience. I will say that it was stressful, especially at times because there's very few opportunities or very few chances or instances, I guess, that you'd actually look through a window and necessarily make eye contact with someone, especially while running power tools. So it was a little bit baffling in one way or the other and, a, and kind of a, not really upsetting, but just, um, like I said, a curveball to the point where I knew so many people were around and couldn't really, uh, I can't really explain that feeling. Like I said, it's, it's like charging a big wave, it's like anything else, you're just in in something and you've yeah. got so many eyes on you that it's, 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 uh, it's very intense. Yeah. I guess that'd be the best way to put it, yeah. Distracting, but intense at the same time. Because, yeah. yeah. Um, you were talking about earlier about wanting to kind of move to California and more opportunities. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the challenges you face as a board builder in Florida? Uh, it's a hard start, but to be honest, there's just, there's not much of a market. It's a very slim market, and when you do stuff, it has to be on the button because there's so many guys that really, they do know what they're doing when it comes to fiberglass and shape. And, the eyeball can tell a lot just by looking at something. And the interesting thing about it is that out here, more people have seem to have a concern for better shape in general than the all, like all the necessary details of sand outs and things like that. Which is not to say to take anything away from anybody, but it just takes a lot of the stress of the board is supposed to be shaped the way it's shaped. The glass job. And this is not meant to discredit anyone who does glasswork or anything like that. It has very little to do with the way the board rides in all reality. And that could be used against me in several ways. So you have to understand. But um, it's just there's more an, an, uh, an appreciation out here for actual craft, for hand-built stuff, and even stuff that has irregularities that can be appreciated over time because that bump on the rail might be what makes that board ride so well. It might be what makes that hip pivot is the slight difference between the two. And Carl Elstrom, asymmetrical, all that kind of stuff. It's just starting to show the light that something that's off could actually be perfect. It just depends on the person. And it's like I've always said, circular shaping is just like the blues. It's all, in general, three chords. It's just the way you arrange it. So from that you can take and do a million different things, but it's really all just three basics. And the way that you arrange it, put your method down and put your planner to the foam has a lot to do with that. Closing question. Yes. Like, uh, what was the last surfboard that you surfed? The last board that I surfed was actually a Mayhem Lazy Boy okay. up in Hermosa. I'm you know, like it was probably the first board of my, that I that wasn't my own that I've ridden in a long time, and it was pretty impressive because coming from Florida to here, yeah, you know, and Hermosa relates to Florida in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> Not to take anything away from those guys, but it is kind of less well exposed, that sort of thing. So I was fortunate enough to have a real wide, planky board, yeah, and I loved it.
59 years old, I've been able to come to a place that I love riding. I, I was just in Japan recently shaping and I took a, a board I had made, much like what I had stripped down and made in, in the late 60s. It was a transition board. It was actually a template off of a, a board from 68, but I put a good rocker to it mm -hmm. and some good rails and a single fin. And I wrote it in Japan. I wrote it here and in Japan. One thing I, I really love about a single fan is it forces you to smooth your style out. Right. And when you're forcing yourself to smooth your style out, for me anyway, it just seems that it really comes together with, when I'm riding a thruster or what have you. It does, for sure. If you're not really gyrating and... For me anyway, that's, that's what I try to achieve. I, I like that. For our final interview, we bring you Roger Hines. Roger has a storied, four-decade-long history of shaping, from the North Shore working with country surfboards and Lightning Bolt to California's Bear Surfboards, Hobie, and Harbor. Roger is a wealth of knowledge and experience. He's also this year's winner of the Icons of Foam tribute to Ben Ipa. Been surfing since the mid-60s. Started building boards in the late 60s, stripping them down and uh, reshaping them into transition style boards. Okay. Glassing them alongside the house. Yeah, back then there were no glass shops that would accommodate somebody. There's really no blanks available either. Right. Clark, Clark didn't sell them direct. So you had to strip down the boards. I, th I think there was a place, uh, Rogers Foam in Santa Ana. I remember. I think you could go there and get some blanks. Okay. But uh, for the most part, they were sold at surf shops, and that, was, that seemed to be the easiest. It was they were available. There were a lot of boards available. It was in the Vietnam, and and people were still over there, leaving their boards behind, and easy to come by. So that was Orange County, obviously, is where you were growing yeah, up. Yeah. And then I went to Hawaii in the early '70s. It's kind of like a light went on when I got there. To really saw how it happened. I was in country surfboards watching uh, some guys glassing boards, and it was pretty, uh, pretty life changing at that point. Was it? Really to see, wow, this is how it's done. That's interesting. Yeah. But um, and then I got uh, together with uh, Kent Smith, who at that time was Pismo Beach Surfboards. He went to Hawaii. He was working for Charlie Galanto. Uh, actually working for Ben, Ben Ipa, okay. working with him and uh, he taught me a lot. Back then we were splitting the time between construction and surfboards because there was not full time in either of them. Right. It was Hawaii and nobody really wanted to work a whole bunch. We were there to surf. Sure. Um, so did you live in Hawaii during that time? Or oh yeah. How long were you there? Spent almost, almost was there most all the 70s. Okay. Back and forth from California to there. Whenever there was a lot of work, I would work, and when there wasn't, I'd build surfboards. Can you tell me um, about kind of your exposure to Ben Ipa and kind of his influence and how he relates to, I don't know, your career? Well, Ben, I didn't know him personally. I'd met him a couple times, but he was bigger than life in the water. It's just a huge presence. We were surfing Sunset a bunch at that time, and he, uh, just a gentleman. Quite the opposite of what you would picture a guy of 
his statute. Yeah. He was very kind and and uh, great craftsman. I, I remember my friend Randy Rarick was telling me that when Ben started working at Surfline, uh, that's when they really started doing a lot of the sting boards and uh, you know they were the guys at that time. It was kind of like little satellite groups on the North Shore in the early 70s. In the early 70s, you were either a lightning bolt or brewer, and then the the sting guys came in, Buttons and Mark Laydell, and that just kind of changed everything, how they were surfing. Yeah. And that was, and then Dane, it, just, it kind of really started to change things really quick. In what way? What way did it kind of influence, A, your surfing, and B, your board building? Well, they uh, were surfing inside the tube, which was not really done at that time. They what, were turning inside the tube. Gotcha. They weren't just straight line of running. They, yeah. were, they, were, they were surfing inside the tube, and they were just all over the place. Pretty, pretty fantastic to watch and be part of that action. Um, you know, and Ben has such a history that goes back so much further than me with with the surfboards, Makaha, and all of it. I mean, the guy's just so well-rounded in all of his shaping abilities. And, and now Duke's at it, and uh, I know his other son, Akila. Yeah. They just keep that, keep that heritage going. That's pretty fantastic. Well, it's interesting in surfing specifically how these guys who are super iconic that have this history that seems so, like, almost it feels old, but it really isn't, and they're still around, and they're still accessible, and still working. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of other things where you still have access to the masters. Yeah, and and uh, there was a lot of um, shapers that came through the '60s and '70s and '80s and '90s and uh, 2000s, and they 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 made the transition every every uh, era of that. And still stayed at the top of the of the pack with right. with uh, their their style of boards they're making. It's and and make no mistake, the sting board that they're making today is the same board that they were riding in the '70s. They've really ramped it up, and and so they've been able to bring that design and just take it and improve on it, improve on it, improve on it. Do you have any experience riding the sting? Yeah, early on I wrote a couple of them, and, and I shaped quite a few of them in the 70s for for guys. And uh, But I don't go into this today with any, uh, I'm not taking anybody lightly. I, I think everybody brings something to the table on this that, uh, and I guess Ben's got some surprises, Does which he? should be interesting. And uh, it's not going to be an easy task. I think, I think it's... Uh, I think just being part of this, you're, you're a winner already, just right. to be part of it, you know, I don't, just to be part of Ben's action and to be part of uh, the U.S. Blanks and the whole deal here, Scott Bass, it's just, I don't know, pretty fortunate. Cool. What's your surfing experience like currently? Like, how often do you surf? And what was the last board that you rode? The last board I rode was yesterday. It was a 710 hybrid. And it's probably one of the only boards I've ever kept because the thing rode so well. Every time somebody wanted to buy it because they tried to pick up my personal boards, I just kept putting it away, just kept putting it away. And uh, it was a board I made when I worked down at the Hobie factory, I think in 2007. And I've never kept a personal board that long. I brought it out the other day and rode it. Nice. How'd it go? 
writes very well, man. Roger's website is rogerhinesurfboards.com. Thing. Again, I'm watching Larry Bertelman at Lighthouse. He's going boom, boom, and go wow, boom. He's stinging the wave. That's where I came in with the word. I think my major goal in my, my label, my, my brand, my name, it's Hawaiian for one thing. In the industry, less than a handful of actually Hawaiian surnames in this thing. And also the inspiration from Duke Hanamoku, you know. I learned a lot from Duke Hanamoku in my swimming days, okay. In my swimming days, okay, we all, we all knew he was an uh, Olympic champion and all that, you know, he'd come down to the swim meets, you know. As for him surfing, to me, never, never clicked to me, okay. When I graduated, Okay, I got more involved in other, other sports than I, I got into surfing three years after I graduated. And by this, then they start, this company was honoring Dukanamoku, a contest for Dukanamoku. And I just got into surfing, like about only two years. So myself and another surfer from Hawaii, guys was asking, how come you guys are not in it? The Dukanamoku Invitational. Because we weren't well known outside of Hawaii. When we were there watching the contest, Duke came to us and go, you guys are gonna be in this contest next year. So Duke got us in. All I wanna do is, I wanna share, but like, Tukaramoku did what he shared. He is my, um, what's the word for it, man? My inspiration. In fact, my first son, I wanted to call him Duke, but my first wife had another name, okay? My second marriage, first son, Duke. <laughs> I, got a, I got a Duke in the family. What was the last board that you rode? The last board I rode? Last boards that I ride. Okay. I got a quiver and depending on the tide, you know? And they all five feet set up. Oh, okay. But you know, I quad it a lot, okay? Six, four, seven, four, eight, four, nine, four, ten, four. Same, same board design. Okay. If it's a sting, they're all the same. Almost all the same dimensions, okay? And all my boards average 24 wide, and they average four and a quarter. Wow. Hey, man. I'm so green up. That's awesome. And I'm going to suffer. Yeah, you know? no kidding. So when I paddle out, at least guy can see me paddling out. <laughs> Instead of trying to paddle out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, by doing this, can I hold my own form? Yeah. Know? Not my style, but my form. Yeah. You know, am I going to waste the wave? Right. So this, this accumulation of what happened in the last 51 years. Yeah, exactly. I'm using the body. Then to, to get myself off the hook, okay, inside my mind, compare with the other sports, what's the longevity of age in other sports? How ten, far can ten a, years? How far can a tennis player go? Not okay. Far. Golfing, they can go until they feel the effect, you know, from being constantly on the 
you know, on the, on the course, you know, yeah. you'll feel something. It's going to affect the performance. Yeah. You know, basketball, football. There's a limit. There's a there's a limit. I'm lucky. Oh yeah. I'm lucky, man. I'm in my early 70s and I can still do it until this thing hit me. Do stretching, yoga, it ain't gonna leave. It's already developed. And not just from surfing. The planer, the blank, you know? That's probably pick, does pick, it more than picking surfing. Picking up the planer, how many years, how many decades, okay? How many decades you lean over the blank, screening, you know? All that, how many decades picking them up? I find ways, okay, I ain't gonna pick them up down here. I'm gonna set up a thing, you know, over here. Putting it back. Yeah. You know, all that. Yeah. So all the, all the years that I've been doing this, the body said, hey, that's it. Take it easy. Oh, take it easy. <laughs> Special thank you to Fiberglass Hawaii for providing some of Ben Ipa's audio interviews. They also supply Ben with all of his board building materials and blanks. You can find out more about them at fiberglasshawaii.com. Ancillary photos and killer surf videos of everything we discussed in today's show can be found at surfsplendorpodcast.com. If you're new to Surf Splendor, we have over 40 past episodes for you to catch up on. Everything is free. It's all available on surfsplendorpodcast.com, in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen in iTunes or Stitcher, make sure to rate and review the show. That helps others to find it. Also, make sure to tell a friend about this episode. The more listeners we have, the more shows we'll be able to produce, and the more guests we will be able to attract. Could you imagine if whenever somebody wins a contest or has a film to release, this is the platform that they chose to promote it on? And that's really the goal of Surf Splendor, is just to continue these long-form discussions with anyone, really, who's doing anything interesting or important in surfing. So you can help us reach that goal by simply sharing this show with anyone who you think may enjoy it. Obviously, social media is a great way to do it. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and just like those things so your friends see it, and then feel free to click the share button. Lastly, if you enjoy the music of Surf Splendor, we have a complete archive for every song in every episode on our website, along with an embedded Spotify player. So we hope that you enjoy that. Thank you to all the shapers who participated in today's episode. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, thanking you for listening to yet another episode. We'll catch up with you next week. Aloha.